Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, Harry, can you please stop chewing on chocolate, please? I'm trying to record. Thank you. Okay. Hello, and welcome to our second episode of The Subject, a podcast offering alternative source of inspiration from everyday women that delves beyond the superficial. We are your hosts. I'm Claire. And I'm just swallowing a piece of chocolate. <clears throat> and I'm Harry. If you've had a cheeky listen to our Taster podcast, you'll know that in today's episode, we're speaking with film producer and all-round renaissance woman, Fahana Bula. We'll be chatting to her about choosing bravery over perfection, getting diversity right, changing careers, and figuring out what the hell Snapchat is. <laughs> what the hell Snapchat is. <laughs> we can't even say it because we're too old. Um, apparently, the younger generations are all over it, and they're also cooler than us, saying no to gin and yes to juices, as we found out from our street-style interviews with millennial Londoners. Stay tuned to hear that after we hear from Fahana. And can you tell us about Bonobo? Um, so Bonobo was my first feature film, um, and which I made very naively uh, because I had no idea of how to produce a feature film. We wanted to make a feature film from a first-time director mm. who, you know, it would be really hard to get his first film off the ground. We had a story that was very contained, and it was set in a commune. It's about a young girl who drops out of uni to live in a commune, and her mum, who is sort of a very buttoned-up middle-class woman, is shocked to discover that her daughter has moved out and has gone to live in this commune. And so she goes looking for her, and she ends up spending the night in the commune, and actually what she discovers is not that her daughter is very wild, but more she learns some facts about herself. Mm -hmm. I should also say that the commune is set in a fictional um, rural setting, but it's it, it's based on the principles that you if if there's any kind of conflict, you resolve it through sex. So it's a very mm -hmm. touchy feely hippie setup. It's definitely a fish-out-of-water comedy in some respects. So hence the name Bonobo, because Bonobos are yeah, all the time. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Um, but but it's a, it was a very contained story. It was made at a really, really low budget. Very, very different from the projects I'm working on now. 
you know, we made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I'm really like proud of the end product because mm-hmm. we made it. We even got a small UK cinema release. We've sold it to different territories around the world. Um, we played in lots of festivals and we've played in like every single picture house cinema across the country. Mm-hmm. So even though it was a really small film, it's always going to hold a very special place because, you know, that's where I learn everything that I probably now know. The first time. Exactly. But it was done outside of the industry. And now everything I'm trying to do is probably more within the, the system. I wanted to pick up on that. You saying you made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Is it something yeah. I'm thinking a lot about at the moment after watching this TED talk yeah. called "Teach Girls Bravery, Not Perfection." Yes. Um, how do you do? You think making mistakes is an important and valid process of like becoming really good at something? Yes, definitely. But it's funny because I think you probably make you're you're probably happier to make mistakes when you're young, and naivety does help because. The more now I'm working within the industry, let's say, I probably would be very scared to go out and make Bonobo now, Mm. I think. Um, I'm really, really glad I did it. Um, And and, and it probably, you know, there's lots of things that I've learned now that I could have applied to Bonobo, but I still don't think I would have maybe had the the courage to go out and do it Mm -hmm. um, if I hadn't started out. Yeah. that way um, and so sometimes it's funny because the more experienced you get and the more knowledgeable you get of your industry or your world the the less risks you're prepared to take mm-hmm. um, and therefore the less mistakes you might make but I've always known from my mistakes and I do think it is important to make mistakes and I think we should be allowed to make them yeah I think I don't think so. I think it started to be talked about a lot more, like the go out and you know make mistakes, and that's how you're going to learn. But I still think that mistakes are so frowned upon. If you look at the media, people yeah make mistakes. People that are in the public eye make mistakes, yeah. and it's just not accepted. No, the no. media is just so messed up because they they have to sell they sell papers or whatever. I mean, I think that. The celebrity gossip thing is something that's really taken a tumble and that people of our generation just aren't interested in. No. But yeah. I, I used to buy things like Heat magazine, but I'm not interested in negative stories or no. inside gossip about people's marriages. It just it's not gonna serve me in any way. It's not beneficial, it's negative and toxic and it's yeah. really toxic. And I think maybe also with some friends, I've friends of mine who are who are actors now or mm also just working in the industry you start to realize that all these celebrities are real people and I think very often people think it's fair game to attack celebrities because Mm. they they're in this world of fame and as if they've chosen the fame Um, and I don't think I think it's really unhelpful not to see them as real people because there's two ways like if you don't see them as real people you think it's fair to attack them and and that also has filtered down to this weird online like trolling culture. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the other side of it, whereas if you don't see them as real people, you don't see their flaws, and that can affect your self confidence mm-hmm. and how you view yourself. So it's 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 not helpful. I don't think that it's good. And I think actually it's 
probably out of fashion now. I think so too. The idea of success that I grew up with in Liverpool as a teenager was of having loads of money, having a boyfriend or a husband that was a footballer, <laughs> having being constantly tanned and having hair extensions. That was my sort of goal of success. So you're constantly tanned. <laughs> um, and I think... And perhaps for other people, uh, it would have been to have a banking job or, as you were saying before, a traditional profession like a lawyer, something that would bring in a lot of money, you know, big flashy holidays, a great car. And I just think our generation is not into that. It's more about like sustainable lifestyle, eating organic, being mindful, having a balance. I don't think it's about like this dogged um, pursuit of success and money and riches. Yeah, no. I think the other thing that I think is is particular to our generation, and this has come with internet culture, is creating, like be, being responsible for creating something. Um, and we all are really inspired when people around us have created something from scratch. Mm-hmm. It's It's hard not to be inspired by that. And I think more and more I see younger generations just going out there and like, not being scared to like put themselves out there because it's part of a project that they're creating and i and i think that's that's um that's a key change that i think is really positive so exciting i find it really really exciting um but the point you just made about career is something that i wanted to draw back because you when you graduated had said that you imagined yourself to have this career ladder yeah um, experience can you tell us a bit about what happened and well, I thought I would always have a really corporate job. I don't know where I got this notion of a corporate job from, but I think it's probably just I hadn't really ever thought about jobs outside of traditional jobs. Yeah. And um, so I guess I've always been very ambitious. And so the corporate ladder was a way where if you were ambitious, you could just rise to the top. And it seemed... It's it, quite a clear progression, yeah, isn't it? it made sense. Mm. It made sense. Mm. But actually, once I started working, I realised, A, it, it's not like that. And, and also, I wasn't very good at it. So that's a whole other <laughs> thing. I don't believe <laughs> What was your first job then from uni? So uh, my first my first job after I'd finished my master's was at Google. And I was what you call an account strategist. So I worked with big online retailers um, and got them to um, spend money on Google, on the Google networks, but actually um, help them with their with their revenues as well. So doesn't sound as fun as making a film. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Sound I don't think I understood what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was actually you know it was quite amazing. The, the numbers that you see, like the targets that you have, the money that people spend the, on the amount that people spend online, yeah. and the amount and how actually spending that money does generate in more revenues for the companies. I mean, I didn't really believe that was possible, but it is. Mm-hmm. So, seeing the power of online was was good, um, and also just being somewhere where technology is constantly changing and having to evolve quickly. I think that was a good that's a, just a, something that stayed with me mm. since leaving Google. 
Uh, in my notes before we chatted to you, I've written down Renaissance woman, because <laughs> I just think of you as someone who does lots of things all the time, as we've already touched on. Like, you're always doing paper marbling or build your own terrarium. <laughs> um, do you feel like you're constantly trying to achieve something? Um, I feel like among my set of friends and women that I know even our time off is spent mm. doing something that's linked to self-improvement yeah I think that I think that's a good point then I think I, I think there's probably too much emphasis on that my problem is is that I like the physicality of making something so in a weird way I like having like the DVD copy of a film that you've just made, or now we don't have DVD DVDs anymore, but like the digital cinema print that then plays inside the cinema, that had just carrying this big, big bulky box around gives me such enormous pleasure. And so I think the things that you've mentioned, like paper marbling or building your own terrarium, they're all pretty useless skills for me well I mean what do you mean by useless just because you're not going to turn it you're not going to like go into paper marbling as a career doesn't mean it's useless because it's a new skill and it's something beautiful that you can do for yourself I think I like making things that are easy because actually doing something like a film is so it's so unwieldy at times Mm. and it it relies on so many different parties and it's 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 not a small operation ever even when you think you're going to be really nimble and have a small crew and make this short film like on the fly it's never that way it's always this massive operation and so something like paper marbling is so satisfying because I can just go and do it by myself and end up with these really nice results pretty quickly like and within pretty a day easily. or within a few <laughs> yeah, hours yeah. Like, the film I, would be what 18 months exactly plus. so I think that's what it is that I like but mm. you still have that very very tangible product at the end. <laughs> Something to show for you. Um, so the world of film has this absolute glamour halo effect around it, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. I think when people think about it, they just they don't really understand or they don't know about the like ups and downs yeah. of working on a film. Yeah. It'd be great if you could maybe yeah, tell people about like, the realistic like the low bits but also the highs. Well I think the thing is is like being a producer is a proper job of highs and lows like mm. there are times where you you get that heart sinking piece of news like um, a key piece of talent has had to drop mm. out and you've planned everything mm. around them Ugh. or like there's been a legal issue um, or somebody's hurt themselves on set or you a book that you really 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 wanted and you were like doing everything you could to get the rights you just lost out on um it's those moments are really like they they make your stomach sink but then the highs are things like you know at the end of a film when you've been shooting and like you genuinely have like got this just whole crew of people you're like oh my god you're all we're all going to stay in touch and we're all amazing people and this has been an incredible experience and we've been through the trenches together there's nothing quite like that um and the sense of like when you are filming especially for a producer everything else kind of goes out the window and i i quite like that focus that it gives you the other highs for me is just constantly being surrounded by really amazing 
talent and that sounds really cliched but I mean like writing talent I mean like my bosses producers that I work for they are constantly pushing for those nuances that I mentioned like what is what what's going to add that detail what's that richness and and I get to just basically live in a world of making stories better I mean that's pretty cool and that's an amazing high and sometimes I pinch myself because I'm like I'm actually getting paid to read this book Mm. and and love it and talk about it and try and win the rights for it that's pretty cool yeah and what do you look for when you are searching for a, a, a book or a, a play to option? Like, what are the things? I mean, I think that I'm always looking for a story that can take us into a new world. Um, and, te- and, and, and I really like things that are telling us something about the society that we live in today but in a way that doesn't that you don't realize that it is yeah. um, but I do like being taken into new worlds and and I like I like those weird quirky interesting characters who um, are just not like I'll, 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 have, I'll remind you of people you know <laughs> I love that you know, when someone has that trait and you're like, oh my God, that person <laughs> is someone like I know. Yeah. I read books. I also read a lot of um, articles So in long-form journalism. So I like reading like New Yorker articles, for example, because I feel like they're always rich in stories. Yeah. Um, they often get like optioned really quickly by studios. Um, so they're really competitive. But just kind of immersing myself in the world of stories and and what I find is just there are so many crazy things that happen in the world that you wouldn't believe if you read it in a screenplay yeah, truth is stranger than fiction isn't it exactly I read um I love National Geographic like I did as a teenager and then I sort of forgot about it and then I've resubscribed this year and I'm obsessed with it anyway I read this amazing article this year and I could I couldn't believe it when I was reading it. I was like <laughs> this community actually exists so it's a community in Indonesia that keep they're dead alive. So say the grandma dies, the body is kept, they sort of mummify it and then they keep it alive. Um, and they like... It stays pull, in the house. stays in the house. They bring food to the, oh to the family. Until? Uh, for, for until the funeral, because they believe in bringing the whole family together. Okay. So, and it can take weeks. So it's like an open casket, but next level. Yeah, next level. And then, and then, like, years later, after the body's been interred, they, they'll take it out and celebrate. I can't remember the reason why they said, but they would celebrate and bring in the body out and dress it up. And... We have such a weird relationship with death, don't we? Or not weird, yeah. like, in the Western world, death is just not spoken about, no. isn't it? It's very, very taboo. Yeah. And a lot of places around the world have... It's much more interlinked with their yeah. living lives. It's yeah. more, more accepted. That yeah. seems quite a healthy approach to, to death for me. I don't know. I feel no, like I agree. if you were grieving and, and, and that was seeing death as a natural part of life. and Which it is. Yeah. It's the only inevitability. Yeah. Death and taxes. Can you tell us about like a near miss or something that your heart was really set on? I mean, I'm probably... Still too early for in my career for, for, for that to have happened. But there have been times when a writer or a director who I met very, very early on in their careers who were real babies mm-hmm. and 
I probably didn't take a punt, but I, I kind of had a feeling that they were talented, but didn't really nurture or didn't pursue them. And then they've gone off to do something really big with somebody else. And then at that point, you've lost them. Has there been anything that you've read or you've seen that you've thought, oh, my God. I mean, I I keep going on about this. I I kept going on about it to Harry, but I loved the um, Eleanor Ferrante novels, which everyone's been going on about. But I genuinely found them to be really influential. I think that's probably because it really made me assess my friendships, my relationships with other people, and how you're constantly defining your your own experiences against other people's. Yeah. Um, and I felt like that really feeds into to to our use of social media now. It just felt so relevant to me, and there were so many things. And and thinking about the the differences growing up as a girl versus if you're a boy, especially in Asian communities where the rules are different. Um, for example, when I was growing up, it was totally totally cool for for boys to be out with their friends till really late mm. at night. And, you know, that was, oh, they're boys, you know, that's fine. But if, if if a group of girls were to be out really, really late at night, and this is true of the community that I grew up in, that would have been really frowned upon. And, you know, it was much stricter. And so seeing these two girls in the Eleanor Ferrante novels growing up in that very, very patriarchal community and sort of each coming out of it in their own way and, and how it how they have suffered as a result of it, um, really, really resonated with me. And I, I genuinely found those books to be very, very significant. So what scares you most about modern life or what concerns you most about life in 2016? Life in 2016. I think that we are struggling to live in the present because we are so caught up in the memory of it. And that's something that I struggle with on a daily basis and that's you know I need to document everything um we're constantly thinking of our futures as well they they can feel very precarious for people of our age I think um so I think living in the present is definitely something I would like to do better I also feel like there's this increasing fear of the other in society in general and I think you know that's lots of recent events have fueled that um but I do I do worry that maybe especially in some parts of the country that aren't as cosmopolitan um that we're living in smaller and smaller communities um, and scared of mixing and have you had any experience of being made to feel like the other being made to feel like a non-British person or Pure racism. I mean, interestingly, I, I've never really properly encountered that in the UK in, until very recently when um, I was on holiday in Norfolk and um, a couple um, sort of started shouting at me to, to leave the country um, and swore along the way. And it, it didn't upset me, but I found it really shocking because I'd never experienced that before, especially in such... An explicit way. I think that I, sometimes I have noticed my skin colour, but racism in general has always been quite insidious. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that it was really explicit. Mm-hmm. And so it was very shocking. And I found that scary because I feel like, 
you know, maybe in some ways we are going backwards. So something's changed. Something For you to changed. get to your age and never have had an insult actually hurled at you in the street. Exactly. And now in 2016 it has. Yeah. That's unnerving. Yeah. That that so it's it's sort of like is is there a regression happening? Mm. And I also think that you know there is so much pressure on communities to integrate and I think integration is obviously really important but I think it's it's how those communities can also feel like they are allowed to retain their voice and identity um, which you know France is struggling with right now and I think we've been better in the UK but I think we're also struggling with that but in general I do feel very optimistic because I think that the younger generations are really cool and they're so cool they're so cool cool. they don't drink they're so cool they're not having they're not getting pregnant as teenagers they don't drink they don't have wi-fi zones like they have no wi-fi zones do they yeah what they're doing tech talks little kids like yeah teenagers nowadays are like they're sort of trying to be a bit more decluttered digitally than we are wow yeah that's a huge aspiration for me because you were talking about before the whole um social media thing and just last night i came in from work and i was sat in that corner over there and i was just thinking i feel really stressed because i have like five whatsapp messages to respond to another couple of text to res- mm. an email to respond to it's just like this constant like a to-do list that's associated with my phone mm-hmm. and social media and I and I was trying to like remember back to my teenage years when I'd just come home on a Friday night and I didn't have to do anything yeah but maybe that's part of also being an adult having career da, 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 da. Yeah. but how many of those things were actually pressing work engagements I'm sure you would be fine to do that yeah yeah but one, I, maybe one the, the others would just, if they're whatsapps what were they like messages from friends but there's this feeling of obligation because you're and then also now like you're you know whatsapp people can see when your whatsapp messages are being read and I, I feel like there's a sort of blurred line between your professional and social responsibilities where like everything is sort of Turning into like admin, yeah. Yeah, life's one big admin list. Is, is Instagram your app of choice? I would say it's mine. Absolutely, I do love absolutely. <laughs> I do love Instagram a lot because um, actually, I for all of for all of the crap that's on there, I do think that it's where I I, I pick up lots of really good tips. Yeah, like there are so many things that I've probably done inadvertently yeah. because I've seen some it announced somewhere on Instagram. It's funny because the younger generations, you know, they don't really seem to use Facebook at all. Instagram is there, but everyone's on Snapchat. And Mm. that's not really something that we all do. Mm. Um, But what I like about Snapchat is that sort of, you know, that it deletes. It's that throwaway culture, throwaway moments, which you perhaps don't... Can you choose to keep it? I think you can save them on your phone. I mean, this is the thing. We need probably lessons in Snapchat. (laughs) I've got a 14-year-old cousin. She's probably, like, the person to ask. I mean, listeners, if you have any advice on how to use Snapchat... Yeah, please. Do you use it? How do you use it? What is it? What's the best Snapchat you've ever received? (laughs) Because I thought it was just for sending, like, pictures of your junk to the person you're (laughs) hooking up with. (laughs) No, I think... But it's gone beyond that. So now brands brands have a Snapchat, all these, uh, you know, Instagram famous people... Yeah, like, who who are in yeah. their 30s, basically, coming to Snapchat really late. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh yes. so all the kids are on Snapchat. Shit, I better get on do Snapchat. Do you use it then, do you say? I don't really use it because I've not 
because I don't have an audience on it. Like, I don't have any friends on it. So why would I post anything on it? Because there's literally no one on there who cares. But what I do like, what I do like about it is the idea of, like, giving a story to your day. And I think you can be really funny. And there's opportunity to, to, to play around with it and to be playful. And I don't think there is that same opportunity on Instagram, perhaps. Somebody told me that they were building a story for the year which is pretty cool because really then you cool. can have like a snapshot into your whole year. I really like that. Yeah. When people just took a picture of themselves every day for five years. It's quite moving. It is. you see the passage of time, which is always poignant, seeing someone get yeah. older and you can sort of tell when, oh, perhaps they were going through something yeah. bad then because even a seemingly insignificant yeah. moment. Because sometimes those meaningful moments or epiphanies come from really banal places, don't they? Definitely. Sometimes it's not. And we were talking about marriage before and weddings and that kind of thing. And on my wedding day, I was like, God, it needs to feel like this. And I'm sure there were moments that I look back on, but it wasn't like the day was some... It was a fantastic day with all my family and friends and closest people, but there have been other, like, just random moments and random days that I've felt more elation I would say yeah and and I think that 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 is a really good point because I always before I was getting married I used to like hate it when everyone was like oh it's gonna be the best day of your life or mm-hmm. getting ready for the best of your life so I was like that's so anticlimactic like what about the rest of yeah. your life are you saying this is it now that's the pinnacle I mean no I don't <laughs> want that to be and I'm mm-hmm. glad already that it isn't um you know I, I think that that's the wrong message that we're giving, you know, that to marriage... To assign so much importance to... Yeah. To your wedding day. More and more women are remaining single as a life choice, and it's not because they can't find that partner, um, because I think everyone could choose to settle and settle down, and the phrase settle down mm-hmm. does yeah. include the word settle, settle. doesn't it? But... um I think, yeah, women are staying single as a lifestyle choice and it's compl- it's v- as valid as the choice to get married. But, but it's also like how sc- how scared society is of the single woman because yeah. the single woman is basically like one of the, 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 the badass people around. And mm-hmm. like even I find it sometimes in friendship groups, like, you know, you notice that like is is the single woman scarier because actually you know she can have her pick of the man mm-hmm. and oh my friend my one of my best friends is not in a relationship at the moment and she went to a really traditional church wedding um a friend of a friend of hers and she said she was the only single woman there everyone else was in uh is in couples and she also slightly misjudged her attire she wore a floor length red dress with quite a low slit um down Love the chest her. she Love said her. the bishop gave her a scornful glance from the altar <laughs> um she felt like she was going straight to hell um but afterwards in the in the reception as well she was getting a lot of vibes from these women and a lot of you know, really? looks across the dance yeah, floor. Like, I'm not surprised. After my man. Yeah, that, is that, like, that I is, couldn't be less interested it, in your boring husband. But, um, yeah. it Like, people get scared. Like, why is that? Because they're, they're a threat. Mm. And also, I think, like, professionally, actually, when you're single, I do think, to an extent, does it help your career? Because, like actually you're able to yeah. like I I sometimes get a bit lazy because I want to go home and spend time with Anna mm. like yeah, that's yeah. 
And if you don't plan on having children, you are not going to take maternity leave and you're going not going to have to ever leave early to pick your kids up or take your kids on holiday. You are going to be a better employer and you will probably, generalising here, but you'll be able to go further with your career. And also in what I do, because a lot of what I do is that sort of finding talent or ideas, you, you need to be at screenings in the evenings, you need mm-hmm. to be at plays, you need to be reading in your spare time like all those things I can imagine being really hard to do um, when you've got a young kid it's quite an all-consuming role isn't it it's almost well I suppose we talk about this in other episodes it's about having that balance and that's an aspiration that our generation are having more and more it's about not just about having the top top career and being the most successful successful person in the room but it's about being able to like see your kids and being Mm. able to spend time with loved ones and that that's not a bad thing that shouldn't be frowned upon by employers but it you know sometimes it it is yeah but I also think if you if you're lucky enough to find something that you are so passionate about and you want to pursue that to the ends of the earth Mm. and you want to along the way compromise family also do that that's brilliant yeah yeah not many people find that absolute passion mm-hmm. um and that's very very valid way to spend yeah. your life as well because you, you know you do get these geniuses who perhaps haven't been the best parents mm-hmm. but what they've given to the world has so, often been amazing yeah. and, and that is a sacrifice and their, their poor child might have had to pay for it in some way did you hear Idris Elba's speech to Parliament on diversity? No, no, it's so good. It's about twenty minutes long. In the wake of the Oscars race row, and he was talking about women, um, he was talking about less able-bodied people being represented, and yeah, it's a huge problem. And he 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 says the industry needs to use their imagination more in who they cast and who they write yeah. for, and and who's who who's writing the story to begin with. I think that's the thing. I think it's like. Very often you get presented with a script and it's you automatically just assume it's a white family that we're talking about. Yeah, so or unless like, it's specified that it's a certain race, the automatic assumption is white. Yeah, yeah. Some, I mean, sometimes, I don't think that's true in all cases, but very often that's how it is read. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it's got to change because actually you don't just want stories that are written for mm. ethnically diverse characters. No. Did you guys see the series Master of None, Aziz Ansari? Yes, I watched Brilliant. that. Brilliant. He's great. There were some really standout episodes for me. Yes, it was very hit and miss. Yeah, there were some really boring. There How some long duds. were they? Like half an hour long? And they're all on a different theme. One was like his parents. So he's, um, he's an Asian writer, actor, comedian living in New York. And he's got a really diverse group of friends. Mm. And so his relationship with his parents being second generation. Yeah. Yeah. And how that's really different. What, what were the other episodes? Well, there was one that, because he's, he's an aspiring actor. And so there in was the one, there's one um, in the series, yeah, his character is an aspiring actor. And there's one episode which is all about the sorts of roles he gets offered. Mm. And it's always a taxi driver or the terrorist or the shop owner. And he's all, all just always like the funny friend of the main character, yeah. never the central character. Mm. And I think that's really true. Mm. Um, that, 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 that is definitely an issue. I think the Americans are probably better at it than we are. They well, this are. is what Idris Elba said in this speech. Was like, that is why I went to America. And you, the UK, are going to lose talent because you're not creating space for these people. Mm-hmm. They're going to do what I did. They go to America. And I think 
So I was trying to think of a British drama that has a really diverse cast or perhaps a Central Asian family that's not about ethnic, um, specific issues. And I couldn't, and I was thinking of Shonda Rhimes in America, who all of her shows are so um, ethnically diverse, keep saying that phrase, uh, but they're not about anything. They're not to do with race. You've got mm. Grey's Anatomy, and you've got the whole spectrum of, yeah. of actors there, and you've got How to Get Away with Murder, which I love. I have such that, like, that, yeah. Viola really Davis is just brilliant, and it's just great TV. Mm. I would say, Bahana, thank you so much for coming oh, and yeah. chatting to us today on the subject. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Now let's hear from those young Snapchat-using millennials about whether they're big drinkers. That's actually quite funny because I gave up alcohol for a year, like to have a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I, like, this year or last year? Well, my final year of uni, it was last year. Mm-hmm. And it was probably like the best thing I did. Yeah. And since then, I hardly ever drink really, just get used to that lifestyle. It's a weight thing. There's so much more calories in there that you realise when you binge drink, it's just not that great. <laughs> I think there's more knowledge about it now and you realise how much sugar you're stuffing down your face and how bad it is for you. I try to. Not the cutting out the alcohol, but maybe the cutting down on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've already identified that I'm a classic binge drinker and I really like it. (laughs) Uh, I don't like sort of being that person who has a couple of glasses of wine in the week every few nights. That's not me. It's empty calories. I just cut it all out for a few weeks and then one Saturday I go hell for leather and my boyfriend takes me home. Well I've been really into health eating recently. I'm going to start a blog actually. So that's what really interests me. I do drink, I used to drink a lot of wine in the week, just every night with my housemates. It's just not really necessary. It's expensive. It is expensive. I did that stop drinking for a month in January, like after Christmas and New Year, sort of a cleanse. And I had an app on my phone it told you how much money you'd saved. I'd oh save so much money just by not drinking. Uh, my flatmate and I were talking about this the other day. When we were when we were fourteen, <laughs> drinking Jack Daniels in the park was like the shit and being skinny, right? And now because of Instagram and other social media, but I think particularly that where it's very much this coffee culture yeah. and being fit and healthy, yeah. which is a massive trend right now. Yeah. Fourteen year olds that I know now aren't drinking in the park. They're going to coffee shops they? and yeah, trying to be really grown up and drinking yeah. coffee and stuff like this. Yeah. And I think, therefore, that's shifted. I definitely go out and drink. We yeah. all do. Still, I, like, I still go out and drink and stuff, but now, I don't know, because I get hangovers now, so, like, I'm limited. Yeah. You just but, yeah. wait. Like, in, fir- <laughs> in first year uni, like, I would just go out and then go out night and then be in the next day, 9 o'clock, yeah. whereas now I can't do that. Like, I'm limited. Mm. It's more yeah. expensive to go out now, so... No, it's really bad, but I think, oh, there's more calories than that. If we go to a kebab shop afterwards, then I'll have flaffle wrap, always. And then the next day, I just eat so much. Thanks for listening. Now tell us what you think. Are you all booze hounds or are you turning away shots of tequila for shots of espresso? Check out our website, www.subject.london, for more news. Follow us on Instagram and look us up on Acast. We'd love it if you'd leave us a review and subscribe on iTunes. If that's not too much to ask. Thank you. Ta-ra. You could just please do everything. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.